Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com. Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. Therapy Chat Podcast, episode 385. This is the Therapy Chat Podcast with Laura Reagan, LCSWC. The information shared in this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a licensed mental health professional. And now, here's your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. This week's episode is sponsored by Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now, for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Use coupon code CHAT or click the link in the show notes to get two free months at therapynotes.com. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I'm very excited to bring you an interview that I recorded several months ago, and a couple things have changed. For example, I said in the interview that I'm not on TikTok, but now I am on TikTok at Therapy Chat Pod. I'd love for you to follow me there if you want to. I'm sharing video content from these interviews often. Many of them were recorded with the intention of being released only in audio, so you will not see them in video format. But if the guest agrees, then the video, some clips from the video are going to be posted there too. And I really find it fun. It's fun to get snippets of the interviews to give you more of a sense of what they're about. So anyway, I'm having a little bit of fun on TikTok, getting more comfortable being on video. And what we are talking about today is, well, first, let me tell you about my guest. Today's guest is someone who I've been following on Instagram for a while, and I really began to appreciate how she shared in a very human way about her own experiences being a therapist who has complex PTSD. I also identify as a therapist with complex PTSD. She talks about what what it was like for her and what it is like for her now in her life. She talks about this on Instagram, and I think it really normalizes our human emotions and experiences and the ways 
we cope following traumatic experiences. Today's guest is Dr. Han Ren. She's a psychologist based in Austin, Texas, and the owner of a group practice called Pivot Psychology. And she has a very popular Instagram account, and she's also on TikTok, which I will also link to. Now that I'm on TikTok, I'll link to her TikTok. And Han talks about liberation-focused psychology, anti-carceral movements, and she explains what those concepts mean and how you can learn more. She shares some Instagram accounts that she follows that speak on these topics. She talks about how the traditional medical model that so many therapists learned in in school is really a is really oftentimes shaming of ways that people attempt to survive through traumatic experiences. And she talks about why she does things differently. One of the themes that we cover here is how therapy can be very focused on simply changing behavior and not at getting to the root of the problem. And so many of our training programs are the same way, even for therapists. So as a therapist, if you are in case consultation and you want to learn how to respond when a client says this or what to do when you feel that or how to hold a boundary in a therapy session. And the reality is there is what to say, what to do. Someone can tell you those things, but if you're having a reaction, if it's hard for you to set a boundary in a therapy session, it's probably because you're having some kind of reaction. There's some kind of reenactment happening for you that, of course, I mean, we have to learn. We, as therapists, we have to learn what a framework is to be a therapist and what the expectations are and how we do our jobs. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about when we have stuck places, you can get supervision or consultation where the the supervisor or consultant tells you, oh, if this happens, then you could say this and maybe do some role plays. But the real work is figuring out what is coming up that is stopping you from knowing what to do. Because you have the training already, but when you can't access your cognitive brain, it means you're having a reaction in some way. So just like what she's talking about in what's going on with clients, the same is happening within the therapist, again, because we're human. So one of the things that she talked about in this conversation is how changing the surface behavior may be a goal. It may be necessary, especially if the person is feeling suicidal or is doing something that is so harmful and risky that it could it puts their safety at such risk that something has to be done to help them stop that behavior. Sure, that is real. But if we don't try to understand the function that the behavior is serving, for example, using the coping strategy of what people call, quote, self-mutilation, self-harming behaviors, things like cutting, burning, doing other things that put the person at risk. But what's the benefit that this behavior is providing to them? Because there is one. There's a reason why they're doing it. Otherwise, they wouldn't keep doing it. It's helping them in some way. I'm not saying that 
we want people to do things that harms, harm themselves, I, I'm saying that we need to understand that these are adaptive strategies. She talks about how these Band-Aid approaches where we just tell someone to stop doing a certain behavior lead to shame. They reinforce shame. And oftentimes there's another behavior that takes its place. For example, when people, you hear this all the time, when people stop drinking and then they gain weight because they're, they're using food to cope instead of using alcohol to cope. The problem is that they can't cope, <laughs> not how they try to cope, right? So we need a deeper excavation of what's really going on inside. And that's true for clients and therapists. So she talks about how therapists can inadvertently do harm and promote clients hiding certain information and masking during therapy sessions. How does that help anyone heal? It doesn't. If they're performing for you so that you can feel better that they're not doing a self-destructive behavior anymore, then maybe there's some benefit within the therapeutic relationship, but the person doesn't have the opportunity to actually learn how to change the behavior by addressing its function and finding another way that meets that need more effectively and more safely and overcoming the barriers to being able to use those more safe, effective strategies. In fact, you know, I'll just say they may not be effective. They may not be as effective at first. So I loved our conversation. We got a lot more in depth than what I'm describing here, but I really appreciate what Han is doing how she's using social media to provide psychoeducation and normalize the feelings that people have when they are trauma survivors, neurodivergent. She speaks of a lot of various identities that impact herself and her audience. So I highly recommend checking out her Instagram account and her TikTok. And if you're a therapist yourself and you need a place where you can examine the stuck places that you're confronted with in your work with clients who have trauma or clients who you don't realize have trauma, then check out Trauma Therapist Network. Registration is currently open for new members. If you're on the waiting list, you should have received an email inviting you to register with early access and a special discount. So keep your eyes out for that. If you're not on the waiting list, you can still join the waiting list and I'll send you that, that registration link. Registration will be open for a few weeks in June 2023 and then we'll open it back up again probably just once more in 2023 for new members. But group practice memberships are always open and we're always keeping it open for Canadian therapists because we have the ability to accept Canadian therapists and we only have one Canadian therapist right now. So would love to have more Canadian therapists join. There's no shortage of need across Canada. That's for sure. And I know there are so many wonderful Canadian therapists. I met many in Mexico back in February. Thanks as always for listening to Therapy Chat. I would be very grateful if you like Therapy Chat, if you tell someone about it or go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review let people know why you like it, or put a rating on your favorite podcast player wherever you listen. 
And I just appreciate you. Thanks so much for being here. I'm grateful to be able to create this show. Talk to you soon. Hi, welcome back to Therapy Chat. I'm your host, Laura Reagan, and today I'm so happy to be speaking with someone who I've wanted to talk to for a while, Dr. Han Ren. Hi. Han, thank you for coming on to Therapy Chat today. Thank you so much for having me. You're welcome. I'm I'm excited. I first started following your work on Instagram, ironically, it seems. You know, it seems ironic to find out about a psychologist through Instagram, but you have you make a lot of content on Instagram that's really helpful for people to learn about mental health. So I'm excited to talk to you about that and to get into something about a particular post that you had. But before we even go there, will you just start off by telling our audience a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yeah. So I'm Dr. Han Ren. I'm a licensed psychologist based in Austin, Texas, where I have a group private practice called Pivot Psychology. I specialize in working with overthinking, overachievers, anxiety, perfectionism, a lot of racial identity development and racial trauma in children of immigrants. And in the past few years, I've been really leaning into liberation psychology and anti-oppressive and anti-racist ways of practicing our clinical work. And it's been such a fun journey, a lot of richness in being able to exist online and speak with people like you and share this work with others. Yes. Well, your voice is really making a difference and I'm so grateful for what you're doing. Let's, if you will, will you tell our audience a little bit more about really what liberation psychology is? Because I think that's a newer phrase and a lot of people might not be familiar with it. Yeah. So liberation psychology is psychology by the oppressed for the oppressed. So it really takes into account the systems of power and oppression under which we live, takes into account, you know, the more systemic roles that influence individual mental health. So it's zooming out from this idea that, you know, mental health is an individual biocycle model of, you know, personal failings or individual psychopathology. Liberation psychology takes into the idea of community care and collective care and how our identities and social location have huge influences on our mental health and wellness. That's wonderful. What a great thing that this field is expanding in that way. Yeah, I think it's necessary. You know, we we are really needing this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, I'm a social worker and obviously social work is still part of the the system, the institutions. And we have, you know, our whole mental health system is influenced by the patriarchal white supremacist structures. Yeah. So, but I, I always think psychology is like, it's so brain focused and individual focused. Mm-hmm. And I love that there's a section of psychology that's more about the environment that the person is in like that. That's what that's what they say with social work. It's person and environment. I think it's, you know, as a as a woman of color, like it's so hard to just only see it as top down brain focused when, you know, my own personal lived experiences has been so colored by the environment. Yeah. And, you know, that makes me think 
about another layer of what we were going to talk about because so the topic that I wanted to discuss with you, it came up because I was on Instagram and I saw a video you made and you were actually, it was like a response. This is so, <laughs> this sounds like such a strange thing, but it was an Instagram video, a reel that you made that was in response to a TikTok post that you had that had like been really I think kind of had gone viral, right? A little bit, yeah. Yeah. So why don't you tell? Tell you tell what happened. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was it was a, a trend where, you know, you you make kind of like some hot takes about whatever your field is or whatever your niche is. And one of the things that I had said was there's no such thing as maladaptive coping. It all serves to keep you alive. And so I had some commenters respond saying, well, you're just enabling, you are going to cause someone to overdose because they think that it's okay because you said that, you know, there's no such thing as maladaptive coping and just kind of really like, I guess, you know, either people in recovery or like addiction purists or old school purists. I wouldn't say it's really the common vibe anymore in addiction treatment these days, but just some really rigid ideas about you know, having to like excise certain behaviors from our lives. Yeah. So like certain things are bad and you should never do them. And there's no way that they could ever serve a purpose that would be adaptive, so to speak. And you should feel shame for having done them and like continue to use shame as a vehicle motivation. or tool. Yeah. To keep you from doing them again. Yeah. But what we know really is that shaming the things that someone's doing to survive really kind of just makes them feel worse and mm -hmm. it backfires. Yeah. It perpetuates it. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, I guess sometimes people do respond to shame in the short term that they will, oh, I shouldn't do this. It's bad. And that will be enough to make them not do it. But comes out in a different way. Yeah. Comes out sideways. You know, in some way over time. It's not a sustainable long-term solution for healing and growth, maybe for behavior change, but not actual holistic healing and growth as a person. Right. Because even, I think in a way there's a parallel with that to something I see a lot with trauma survivors. You know, my clients are trauma survivors. I'm not directly working with clients now, but that's been the population that I've always worked with is people with complex trauma and it's people with childhood trauma and they escape childhood and they get into somehow a more stable situation, whether it's a relationship that, you know, takes them away or education and job and achievement takes them from this chaos that they had before. But it still comes out in other ways, yeah. whether it's chaos, whether it's relational problems, you know, self-loathing, yeah. personal. Chronic shame. Yeah. It's like whack-a-mole. It's like you find one way to stuff it down, but it pops up somewhere else. Absolutely. Yeah. So what you were posting about on the, so I'm not on TikTok, but the Instagram post that I saw where you were responding to the TikTok you talked about how you see those 
what people call maladaptive behaviors or self-destructive behaviors differently. Can you say a little bit about that? Yeah, I I think every single thing we have done in our lives to survive has been adaptive. Maybe some are more adaptive than others, and maybe some also cause harm to ourselves in a different way while we're trying to survive and save ourselves in from the most salient or emergent threat. And, and if we are only so focused on the excavation or excising of that behavior, then we lose the function of what this behavior is serving to protect. And, you know, so in this real, I had self-disclosed how in my teenage years, I had self-harmed as a primary way of coping with a lot of chaos and complex trauma. And I went to some therapists who are very, you know, hard line about like, you need to stop this self-mutilative behavior immediately and like, you know, very punishing of it. And so I was scared and shamed and, you know, spent a lot of energy and effort to just stop that behavior. And I did, but it took a different form. It didn't actually help address the chronic shame underneath or the function of why I was doing it. And it just sublimated it to something that was more societally acceptable and more palatable, palatable to, you know, people's, I guess, like therapist code of ethics or, you know, what people were willing to put up with me. And so, yeah, I mean, so it's like the function of it shifted, but the, you know, shame didn't. And it was another few decades of really working through and understanding, you know, what are the core features of why I do these things, whether it's self, quote unquote, self-destructive, like self-injury or like, you know, still also self-destructive, but like capitalistic and productive, right? Through like overachievement, overwork, perfectionism, because that's really what I turned to instead. And everyone celebrated these elements, but it was still just as destructive for me personally. And recognizing like it's all the same foundation and, you know, being able to honor the function of why I do any of the things or why anyone does any of the things that they do is such a core element to healing and growth. Yeah. Thank you so much for sharing that. And I I just have so many thoughts and feelings about what you shared because, well, I guess I'll go with the feelings first because that's what seems to be coming up is when I saw your post, I was very moved because I, I saw it and I thought, wow, if someone had been able to explain that to me when I was a teenager. I can't imagine how much different I would have felt. I mean, I'm 50 years old, but, and my life is much different, but, you know, 35 years of like, so it's not to say that your Instagram made me realize for the first time because I'm a therapist and I do know these things, but it made me, it just hit me because it was like, wow, how as a teen, if, if an adult who you are going to, to help you, like you're, you're hurting your body because you feel bad inside for some reason. And there's a good reason why you feel that way. And you're trying to survive this. So you go to an adult 
helping professional and they say, this person's going to help you feel better or this person's going to fix you, whatever they tell you. And then you go and then they say, you can't do these things. These are very bad things. This is, you are a very sick person. This is very bad. You have to stop or you won't be able to come here. And then you're like, oh no, I'm so messed up. There was, there was a period in my teen years when I was like really in the throes of it where I thought like, you know what, I'm just going to become an institutionalized person because I am so messed up. I don't deserve to like have a regular oh, life. Man. Like I cannot be safe out in the wild. That was the feeling that I had it was like, either I'm going to not make it because I'm that messed up. Or if I do, I'm going to need to be like so severely contained because that is the only way that I can be safe. And it's like it you're afraid of such, yourself in a way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I was terrified of myself. And, you know, as as an extension of that, I became terrified of just being alone. You know, like even at this age, I'm finally learning to like enjoy my own company sometimes and like feel a little safer in that because there was such an idea of like you cannot be trusted. You cannot be alone or else you're going to self-destruct. Yeah. I mean, for one thing, the way you're describing that is so powerful. And just to think of how really thinking of those words, how terrifying that is, because you can't escape yourself. Therapist, we've all had that moment. You wake up in the middle of the night. Oh, my gosh. Did I do my notes? Well, you don't have to worry about that anymore when you use therapy notes. Therapy notes makes it easy to write your notes, get them done quickly, but thoroughly. My group practice has used therapy notes for six years and everyone always finds it easy to use. But the best thing is if you do need help, you can call their customer service number and a person answers the phone. And anytime I've ever had to use it, which is maybe three times in the past six years, my issue has been resolved easily with a cheerful demeanor in 15 minutes or less. So I highly recommend Therapy Notes. And don't forget, go to therapynotes.com and use promo code chat to get two free months. Right. You can distract from yourself. You can suppress parts of yourself. But ultimately, that's probably the most important relationship we have with anybody is our relationship with ourselves. Yeah. I was actually thinking yesterday. Your relationship with yourself is the only relationship that you're guaranteed to have your whole entire life. You really, there's no other relationship that you can be sure that will stay with you. So, so you have to evolve in your yeah, relationship with yourself too. Being able to love yourself, you have yourself for your whole life, but being afraid of yourself and being almost taught to hate yourself when you're already kind of in that space anyway, and to fear your urges that are the only thing that are keeping you going at the time. So, yeah, this this really fits closely with what we've been talking about on therapy chat. I mean, I think it's always about depathologizing trauma therapy and and healing, but I think that we therapists can do a lot of harm probably out of our own fear and lack of competency in knowing how to help 
not only in understanding what we're seeing in front of us as trauma and attachment wounds that are causing the person to behave the way they do, but in the way we have these knee-jerk reactions to our clients sharing something that they haven't told other people because they're too afraid to tell or, you know, they haven't known what else to do. So they need help. And then they're told, you are a really big problem. I really do think about just the movement towards anti-carceral abolitionist mental health care as it is so necessary and, you know, how that applies to every single level and how when we are only guided by, you know, like a CYA, like cover your ass type of, you know, what's, what are my ethics and my, you know, mandatory responding, reporting duties? Like what, what do I need to like check the boxes of? How much care gets missed in that and just what falls between the cracks? And sure, like, you have done everything you needed to do to ensure that your license is solid and, you know, you have checked the boxes. But what does that do to your relationship? What does that tell the person that you're trying to help? How does that influence how sneaky they are or secretive or alone that they feel? You know, there's such a ripple effect to just by the books type of care that it's not even care anymore. Yeah. Yeah. As soon as you're, if you're sitting with your client and they say, I was thinking about killing myself last night, they're telling you, I felt the worst you can possibly feel. And you go, listen, I'm going to need you to sign this safety contract right now. I mean, that's not what they needed in that moment. It's also not, you know, they're, they're not effective anyway. And it, it's a rupture to it is the relationship and i think about you know how the the power differential between the therapist and the yeah. client is so stark you know in that way too and that's another motivation for me to self disclose is that like as a therapist as someone with a you know platform i can be honest and vulnerable and say like I've been there. I've struggled through this extensively. And my experiences does not make me worse of a clinician. It makes me better of a clinician. And I can approach this from both a professional, you know, experience, clinical experience, but also a lived experience perspective. And that really does add a layer of like, you know, depathologizing and, and, you know, empathy to the experience. Running a group private practice has been a challenging and rewarding experience. And one thing that has made it so much easier is Therapy Notes. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. If you're coming from another EHR, like I did, Therapy Notes makes the transition incredibly easy, importing your demographic data free of charge so you can get going right away. My team has found Therapy Notes very easy to learn. It's intuitive. The customer support is second to none. 
And that's one of the things that has kept me a Therapy Notes customer for several years now. Anytime I've needed to contact Therapy Notes for help with an issue I couldn't figure out on my own, I've been able to get through to someone and resolve the issue within 15 minutes, 99% of the time. Find out what more than 100,000 mental health professionals already know. Try Therapy Notes for two months absolutely free. Just click on the link in the show notes or enter the promo code chat at therapynotes.com. That's so true. And I, I'm torn right now because there's two directions I want to go. There's two questions. I mean, one, I want to ask you, I'm going to come back to something I wanted to ask you <laughs> to say more about, and I'll just first respond to what you just said. So I think it's so brave to share your experience. And I am personally in awe of the current movement to really stop hiding the fact that we are human as therapists. You know, I'm uh -huh. seeing more and more therapists coming forward and saying, I have DID and I'm a therapist uh -huh. and I'm practicing. And no, that doesn't mean that I shouldn't be, you know, or I have a dissociative disorder or I have PTSD or I have chronic illness. And, you know, I think it, a lot of times it's like the best we'll do is say, I used to have this problem and I overcame it and you can too, you know, but I don't know if it ties in. I guess that's why I was torn, how it may tie into the anti-carceral uh, abolitionist uh -huh. healthcare movement that you mentioned to be more forthright about, like, there's no us and them. There's no, yeah. there's no expert and, you know, non-expert. We're doing this together. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's such a collaborative nature to this and it it's an idea, you know, within liberation psychology of, of accompaniment as being a key element of what drives change and what, you know, is healing, like the vulnerability and privilege of bearing witness to each other's pains and life experiences and the reciprocity that it requires. And that does flatten the hierarchy. And it, you know, necessitates a commitment to relationship over time. And I think that's part of the most beautiful elements of this is that you can grow and deepen this reciprocal trust and care. I mean, obviously with boundaries and like, you know, not like willy nilly working it out, working sure. all this stuff out in session. But I think just be more open to this idea as being a relationship is a key element of anti-carceral care. Yeah. Where can we learn more about that concept? Do you have a, a resource or a book or anything to recommend? I'm sure it's not just like one thing, but. Yeah. You know, there's some great. <laughs> not to put you on the side. <laughs> that I've been, I've been loving. I like Project Let's is a great one. Fireweed Collective. Dr. Jenny W.H., she is an abolitionist therapist who creates social media content and is really good. Another one is body justice therapist. She's also a, is a body justice therapist. She's also anti-carceral. There's, and then there's the CAMS, which I think is really good. The, it's like a, it's a suicide assessment tool, but it's very collaborative and wrap around. 
Is it the C-A-N-S? Yeah, C-A-M-S care. So Collaborative Assessment and Management of Suicidality. Okay, that's a different one than I was thinking of. And it's it's a, it's therapeutic. It's an assessment tool, but it's also a therapeutic framework. And, you know, I really love how Fireweed Collective has has done a lot of great trainings. And I think they've collaborated with the Barnard Society for Women's Studies. I'm like, hmm, you can really have to like look into I'll put um, some links in the show yeah, notes. But there's but there's like an idea of like mad mapping and like, you know, creating emotional safety maps where it's not just like, okay, you know, this contract or like the Brown Stanley template of safety planning. It's like, okay, who are your people who can like bring you a meal, pick up your meds? Like, how do you want to be cared for? And what do you need in these times of crisis and how do you, you know, create that map and web, you know, proactively so that people can care for you in the ways that you need and deserve. And so just a lot of like mutual aid collaborative care stuff that, you know, decenters like psychiatric facilities as like the next step. Yes. Well, thank you. And also, I mean, because if, I'm just thinking, I have so many thoughts. One of the things I was thinking about when you were talking about, quote, self-mutilation, thinking about like clients who have, who use cutting, for example. And so it's like, don't cut. And then every session it's like, I wanted to cut, but I didn't cut. I wanted to cut, but I didn't cut. And, you know, Mm -hmm. which is good that, you know, they're, paying attention and noticing the urge and working with what's triggering it and what did you do instead and all that stuff. But, but it becomes like, what are you doing is you're just in a battle with the cutting in in the sessions and that's it. You're in a power struggle. Yeah. You're not understanding it. You're not understanding the emotions that surround it and the function of what it offers you and really expanding on you know, growing curious to what that process does. And like, sometimes in order to really understand it, you just got to do it with like all cylinders firing, you know, with a degree of observation and connectedness to your Being body. more mindful. Yeah. Yeah. Mindfulness. Yeah. But that like, you would never hear a therapist say that because it like, you know, is complicit to you doing it. Yeah. And like, what does that mean? Right. So but there's so much we can learn about ourselves when we kind of move with resistance or move with the trauma and what it, you know, how it perpetuates or shows up in its current form rather than just to say like, stop it, stop it now. Right. This is the, this is the thing that we must avoid at all costs. And I just think about too, how like, there's like this, it's hard to put into words, but I feel like there's this like feeling of performing and people pleasing for the therapist by not doing it. And then, yeah. you know, and then, then there's this big shame thing if they do relapse. And in the same way, just to take that another step, it's like, I didn't want to tell you I was feeling suicidal because I knew you would make me go to the hospital. And it's like, make me go to the hospital, you know. <laughs> and then you go to the hospital and then they keep you there for a few days to keep you safe and maybe, maybe make a change in medications, maybe. And then you're back home and you're like, well, now I should be fine because I've been to the hospital. But nothing happened. Right. Yeah. (laughs) And like, how does that replicate our 
existing power differentials yeah. and the systems of oppression that we live under, especially if you have any marginalized identity. How much of our life is spent trying to please the stakeholders and the power holders enough so we can skate by to another day? And it's just these, you know, parallel processes that get mm-hmm. replicated time and again, and we lose ourselves in it. We forget why, like, what, what's the point if it's just, you know, a symptom reduction for one more day? Right, exactly. Or moment. Uh-huh. As long as you don't f- say that you feel that way anymore while we're in our therapy session, then I can rest easy tonight. Like, what's the, that's not what it's all about, right? I mean, we're trying to help people feel better. And I love what you were saying about, and this sort of, I guess there's a contrast between, you know, you mentioned that in your Instagram reel that when you went to this therapist and they found out that you had been using self-harm, they were like, I think you said, all right, we're going to start DBT or they referred you to DBT. They they gave me the DSM printout of borderline personality disorder on my second session and it was, I was 15. So like, there's so much that's wrong with that. Yeah. But it was just like so pathologizing and so just like reductionistic. And there's like no way. I mean, all 15 year olds are a little extra. And, you know. I mean, and, kind and of like what borderline right? personality disorder is, is behaving kind of the way a teenager behaves. So being a teenager. Yeah. It yeah. sounds like and you're like, behaving the way a teenager behaves. And I think there's, you know, some research that looks into like early traits, but like certainly by a second session, it's really hard to discern all of that out. Right. And and even if you do have an idea of that's what it is, like to hand that to a 15 year old, this is what you have. Right. No, it was it was terrifying. Like it really solidified my idea of like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to be institutionalized (laughs) because that's that's what I see for myself based on this. It was really, really scary, but it it, yeah. it served to like shock me. Like a yeah, wake up call, but not in the right way. It just shocked you into a change. Yeah, yeah, it was terrifying. It's like, well, if I want to have any sort of, you know, freedom or agency in my life, let alone in my you know therapy, I gotta excise this. I gotta completely remove this part of myself. I'm so sorry that happened to you. And again, you. that I keep going back to it and asking you about it again is maybe not the greatest. That's no, okay. I've <laughs> I've done a lot of work around it since then. And like, you know, I actually feel really good about talking about it because it's part of this normalization, destigmatizing, de- de-shaming process. Yes. Thank you. There, I was pathologizing it for a second there. Sorry about that. Yeah. So let's talk about that those types of treatments, like the behaviorally based treatments in when people are dealing with psychic pain from trauma, how do you work with those, those concerns when they come up for your clients? It's, it's clear that it would be a completely different framework. Yeah. I mean, I tend to not work with people who are in like acute crisis 
And I think there is something to be said about like stabilization, emotional regulation skills and, you know, the times of acute crisis. Yeah. But, you know, even a, a person who is not in acute crisis, there's often a thin line of what would set them over that edge, That's right? True. When life gets stressful or whatever else. And so when you're working with that baseline, how do you incorporate all the parts of that person and recognize that they all have a healing, adaptive role? You know, it's like very parts work, internal family systems stuff, but also mm -hmm. just like, what are you understanding about your body and what your body is trying to tell you? So I work very much from like a nervous system regulation perspective and from a like, this has served you and this was a solution and now it's a problem. And let's, you know, keep watching and seeing what it's trying to tell you. Let's grow curious about it over time. And, you know, it's longer term work because we're not trying to change things, you know, overnight. And it's sometimes a little bit of riskier work because, you know, people can do more things and tell me about the things that they're doing because we have created that safety. But it over time allows people to come to their own like realizations about like, okay, well, this is where that part comes from. Mm -hmm. And this is what it served back then. And maybe it no longer serves me now. And I can catch it when it comes online and choose something different. And all of that involves so many rounds of repetition. And like with each repetition, just some stabilizing, compassion, nurturing, like, and it's okay that you're doing this and it's okay. You're not too much. And I think there's something really beautiful about that, you know, just in, in my therapy work as a client, as a clinician, and also in my own life of just really wanting to surround myself with people who are like, well, okay, you're a lot, but it's okay. You're not too much. <laughs> You're a lot, but it's okay. Not too much. Yeah. <laughs> so probably like my, the, the biggest, like the best words of affirmation anyone can say to me is just that like, you're always enough and never too much. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And that's what, you know, that's, I feel that when you talk about the way you practice, it's like, if you make the space for the person to bring all of themselves, themselves into the therapeutic relationship with you, then they can explore what's really happening and why in a holding, you know, environment. Yeah. Yeah. They don't have to lie. They don't have to right. feel high ashamed. things, lie. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that in itself is a completely different experience when, you know, if you, if you feel intolerably unsafe and you have to do things to escape from that feeling you'll do whatever you have to do to escape you know by any means necessary yeah so if we make it so that people can't tell us about the some of the things they do then how will they be able to understand why they do those things and change it yeah and like compartmentalization is such a core element of trauma. 
and what perpetuates trauma, right? When people are just completely different versions of themselves in different settings and don't feel the safety to integrate and like how that is related to our identities and the masking that we have to do to feel acceptable and safe in different settings. And so if we can create some experience of, you know, integration and allowance for just being who you are in the therapy room, you know, just the the gift of generalization that that could offer someone. Yeah, very true. And I mean, what you're doing with social media is really important because, mm-hmm. Thank you, you know, it's people, that's where people can find, you know, they can find it on their own. They can think about it. Oh, never knew a therapist could say that, you know? <laughs> yeah. It's just been really an honor and a privilege to be able to do that and, and to, you know, have networks with other therapists who have similar values and be able to offer some workshops and trainings to like have other therapists also develop these ideas. Like the community building element of social media has been so life-giving and nourishing and, you know, beyond what I could have possibly imagined when I started. Oh, that's so great. And, you know, I, I say this a lot, but we always look at social media as a negative thing and what it takes and how it harms. But there are aspects of it that you can only get through social media. And I mean, I, w- I doubt I would have found you without uh-huh. it. And I'm so grateful that we've connected. Yeah, me too. So, Han, where can people find your speaking, your trainings, events, your therapy practice, all the good stuff you're doing? Yeah. My website is drhanren.com. And you can also find me on TikTok and Instagram as Dr. Hanren. And my my group practice is pivotpsychologyatx.com. And we're based in Austin and have several clinicians who are seeing people within the state of Texas. Wonderful. Well, thank you so much for bringing your wisdom to Therapy Chat today. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such an honor. The pleasure was all mine. Thank you to Therapy Notes for sponsoring this week's episode. I do love Therapy Notes. It's such an asset to my business and makes my job as a practice owner and a therapist much easier. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. Use coupon code CHAT or click the link in the show notes to get two free months at therapynotes.com. Thank you for listening to Therapy Chat with your host, Laura Reagan, LCSWC. For more information, please visit therapychatpodcast.com. Try Therapy Notes, the number one rated electronic health record system available today. With live telephone support seven days a week, it's clear why Therapy Notes is rated 4.9 out of 5 stars on Trustpilot and has a 5-star rating on Google. Therapy Notes makes billing, scheduling, note-taking, and telehealth incredibly easy. And now for all you prescribers out there, Therapy Notes is proudly introducing ePrescribe. Try it today with no strings attached and see why everyone is switching to Therapy Notes, now featuring ePrescribe. You can get two months free by using promo code CHAT at therapynotes.com.
Trauma Therapist Network is a website to learn about trauma and how it shows up in our lives and to find a trauma therapist. Go to traumatherapistnetwork.com to find a trauma therapist near you today. 